You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show. How about you introduce yourself? I'm Steve Taylor, and I'm one of the owners and one of the production people at Wahoo Studios slash Ninjabi. Great. Uh, how did you get into games? Well, I kid and um, always figured I wanted to get into it. I did some other software development for a while and then applied to the game company and showed a demo and got in the door that way. Great. Um and then what inspired you to get into into the indie game scene? So that's, a, I think, a lot more interesting. We, So I, I worked at, a game, at that game company that I got into um, for about six years, and they started to have some financial problems. And so uh, another guy and I left and started Wahoo Studios, and we um, got going with a few basic contract jobs doing writing and programming, tools development and art and things like that, just trying to keep the doors open and keep some money flowing in. Um, and the company changed and we went through some trouble and through some success and a bunch of stuff happened. And then we and we had done some contract work for publishers, traditional contract work, and that's really the way that that's really what Wahoo Studios is, is a contract game development company. And we started working on a, a demo of a game um, that we thought we would do as our as a full retail downloadable console game, and that was Outpost Coloki. And we showed it to a lot of people, and pretty much universally they all said, this is great, I love it, it's beautiful, and there's no way that I'm going to buy it from you, and there's no way we're going to put it on a console, because it was just too different to uh, unlike the standard games that were coming out on the console at the time. Um, and they couldn't sink a traditional retail budget into that kind of a title. So we talked to a few other people and some friends of ours, and they convinced us to release the game independently. And so I talked to some other friends of mine who had already done that and got some more information from them, and we decided to go ahead with it. So we released Outpost Koloki on the PC, and that was the start of our involvement in indie games. Before that, we really had no interest or even awareness of the whole concept, really. We were just a contract game studio. And that's when we decided to use the name Ninjavi. So our company basically has two faces, the Wahoo Studios face, which is traditional contract work for publishers, and the Ninjavi face, which is uh, independent games that we develop and release on our own. And that's also how we eventually got the Xbox version of the game. The live arcade version of Outpost Kaloki done was uh, by showing around the PC version that we had already released. When you released a PC version, was it um, on the internet or was it in retail? Uh, on the internet only. We have since then done a few regional releases of the game retail, like uh, in in some regions in Asia and in Russia and Germany and a few places like that. Uh, we have never done a box deal in the U.S. and so so our initial release and most of our sales have been. Online through various traditional portals like you know, Big Fish and Reflexive, and then also through our own site, ninjabi.com. What inspired the design for the game? Um, it does have like a different humorous kind of uh, melodical feel to it. It's it's different, and so how yeah, how was the know, development the, process for that? 
You know, the, the feel and the dialogue and the characters and the story for Outpost Koloki was really grew just piece by piece. We had originally decided to design a... a, a we wanted a tycoon game that would work with console controls, and really the original design was all about that. It was all about playing a tycoon game with a console controller. And the fact that it was a space station tycoon kind of grew out of that, and then the story and the character and the feel of it grew from people just playing with it. There were just some smart, funny people working on the game who just had some strange ideas about what should be in the dialogue and what the story should be all about, and that's how that came about. Working at a studio compared to working on this game, was there any kind of change in the development methodology? Uh, do you mean like working on uh, on this kind of a game versus working on a, a big contract job? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, there was certainly a change in a difference in attitude. Um, now, again, we we started this project thinking it was a, a demo for a full retail title, and eventually it became a full indie game by on its own. But I, I have worked on some much bigger projects. In, in more traditional circumstances, and you have to take a longer view. You have to do much, take off much, much bigger uh, pieces of the project and make them get done, and you either do them yourself or, or cut them up into smaller pieces for other people to do. And um, it's just a bigger, longer, more drawn-out process, and it's a lot more painful if things get canceled, and it's a lot more uh, serious because you can spend two years of your life doing that one thing. So the general feel and attitude of doing indie stuff is, I think, a lot more relaxing and fun and lighthearted because we can look at something and say, is this going to be fun to work on for the next six months, and then we're going to move on and do something else, or maybe nine months, or depending on how, how long the game is. And then the process, we still use a lot of the same techniques and tools that we tried to develop for uh, traditional retail titles in our indie stuff. So we, we take what we think is a fairly mature approach to the actual development process. It's just on a shorter schedule and with more focus on how fun is the basic game and how interesting is it in this small but, but uh, uh, compelling addictive package. After you released the game, what were you thinking then? Uh, which, the Xbox Live Arcade version or the PC version? Oh, the PC version. Uh, of Outpost Koloki? We, yes. Um, uh, you know, I, we really had no idea. That was the first indie game that we had ever released, and so we had no idea what to expect. Um, honestly, the first time we started showing it, we started uh, pitching the indie version to portals, and they were saying no. Um, very, very traditional portals like... Um, uh, I'm sorry, like Flashdock. Okay. Yeah, like Real Arcade, right. They said no. They said, this isn't our kind of game. And they were right, actually. Uh, we, we, so we, we started getting yes from a few people, and, and then we were honestly very relieved that somebody actually wanted the game and, uh, and started to get some good feedback from it. But it does a lot better on sites like ArcadeTown.com. ArcadeTown is, is a lot less of the simple, traditional puzzle game portal um, and more broad, more uh, appealing to various ranges and people looking for different kinds of games. And then we had some success on our own on NinjaBee.com, and uh, so that was honestly a little bit of a relief. And then we just really dug into trying to make the live arcade version happen. Yeah, how did you uh, come about the live arcade version? Well, what actually happened was um, we we are I'm friends with uh, Ross Erickson and I, he he's, he was origi he was at one point based in Utah where we are, 
And so we had been talking to him just kind of in general, hey, we want to show you some stuff, including this PC game, Apros Kaloki. And we didn't really know anything about Live Arcade. And he said to us, you know, you really need to consider this opportunity right here, Live Arcade for the Xbox 360. And I think we thought about it for maybe seven seconds before we decided that that was exactly what we wanted. And we could finally go back to the original vision for the game, which was console, which was a console tycoon game. We had remember we had originally designed it to work with console controls, and so this was an opportunity to realize that original vision, which was just a fantastic opportunity. That there was no way we could pass on that, let alone the fact that it meant that we could get back into consoles, which is really where our strength and background was, um, and just just getting into that market and that field and back into consoles and doing our own thing and releasing it our, on our own, working with Microsoft, all of those things were just stellar, amazing opportunities, and it was it was really a no-brainer for us. Even when people weren't sure how the 360 would do or how Live Arcade would do, it really didn't matter. To us, there was just no way we were going to pass on that. And how long did it take, then, to uh, convert this game to uh, an Xbox Live? Um, you know, I, I wish I could remember. <laughs> we, uh, we got alpha kits in the summer, and... We went through the process of going through early dev kits and, and better dev kits and final dev kits um, through a ton of support from Microsoft. They were great to work with and gave us everything that we needed. Um, and then we, I just worked crazy hours and added people to the project, and they worked crazy hours. And we were on a pretty big crunch to get it done by release. And so Outpost Kaloki shipped with, well, it was released at the same, it was available that you could buy your Xbox off the shelf on launch day, plug it in, and download Outpost Kaloki. So... I would say that just the Xbox version took anywhere from three to five months, three to six months, something like that. Okay, and were there any surprises or interesting experiences uh, working on Xbox on an Xbox 360 game? Uh, sure, tons. Uh, <laughs> we had to ex- we had to be exposed to and explore the whole principle of achievements and leaderboards and rich presence and. Uh, and that kind of thing that's all you know part of the live experience that everybody's so used to now but we, did, we had no idea what it was and, and really hadn't been exposed to it at all we had never done Xbox development we had done other consoles PS2 and um, and handhelds and GameCube and uh, and uh, um, every, basically everything except for the Xbox so that was new to us and all of those unique live features were completely new to us and we had to figure all that out and at the same time, Microsoft was still um, fine-tuning the process, and they would, we would work with them on changing things and revising things and making things the way they expected. Um, and that was very much a learning experience for us. But it, wasn't, it really wasn't very painful. It was just a matter of syncing up on things with Microsoft and really understanding where everything needed to go uh, and then trying to make the game as good as we possibly could for the, for the 360. And, you know, honestly, maybe one of the biggest surprises was how easy the system was to work with. The, the system itself is great. Working with Visual Studio is fantastic. Um, and the tool set, while it has its uh, idiosyncrasies, is fairly mature. From the release of the PC version to the release of the Xbox Live version, were you doing any kind of marketing or any other like um, types of promotion besides word of mouth? Uh, for on the on the live arcade version, we were not. Uh, the, honestly, live arcade games are a little bit hard to market. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to 
to have somebody looking at a magazine ad that says, hey, try this game, uh, if they can't even go to their computer and download it, they have to go to their Xbox specifically, and that's the only way to get it is to go to the Xbox, go to the Live Arcade menu, and download the game. So ideally, we'd be marketing to people who are already on the Xbox looking through the dashboard, and Microsoft, that's one thing that they do is they help the, the various companies who have released their games get some... Uh, advertising time basically in the dashboard um, beyond that we've done press releases and interviews and things like that to try to get to pe people to play that game and our next game which was cloning Clyde on live arcade and uh, and so our efforts have mostly been in just making people aware of it but we haven't done things like buying ads for live arcade games uh, could you talk more about cloning Clyde and yeah. how that came about sure um, about the same time that we were starting out post Coloki. Um, a guy named John Nielsen, who I've known for maybe 10 years, uh, was working with us on another pitch for another retail uh, title, and we were we and we showed that game to Ross Erickson, and and in the same meeting where Ross was describing Live Arcade to us, and we the the group doing Outpost Kaloki said, well, well, this is a no-brainer, and John had pretty much the same reaction, and he got so excited about it and so. Uh, committed to the whole idea that he said, I'm going to just stop even working on this other game and I'm going to make a live arcade game. And he proved it. He, did, he didn't just say it, he just did, he did it. He sat down and made the prototype for Cloning Clyde. Um, and then the next opportunity that we had, basically when Kaloki was pretty far along, we showed a prototype of it to the people at Microsoft that we had been working with, uh, <clears throat> Cherie and Ross and Katie and Tony. And they uh, and they liked it, and it just got better and better, and they liked it more and more, and they they got a lot more heavily involved and helped helped us out on Clyde, even more than they had on Outpost Coloki. And really, the game is you know it's ours and Microsoft's uh, in the end in, in terms of uh, just commitment and 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 uh, putting resources into the project. Um, so it was really a matter of John getting really excited and then making it happen. And John Nielsen was the the original conceiver of the concept and the lead programmer and the lead artist and the lead designer on that project. Um, since you've released about two games on Xbox Live, could you walk me through the design process of just how you develop a game and what you do? Sure. Um, we have a small team, but we usually start out really small, like one guy who has uh, ide original ideas and uh, a focused plan for what he really wants to accomplish. And every and in every case, we are very specifically designing for Live Arcade. Even without Postcoloki, again, it was a chance to not only uh, bring the game back to the console where we had originally planned it to be, but also to adapt it heavily. The final version of Outpost Kaloki for, for Live Arcade included a lot of new, redesigned, rebuilt, brand new content that we had designed specifically with Live Arcade and with Xbox Live in mind. And so every game that we do, we, we're very much thinking exactly how does it fit into Live and how can it take advantage of the unique features in Live and the unique hardware on the Xbox 360 and the unique audience that's playing Xbox 360 games. So we start out with that, we develop the idea, uh, we have to convince Microsoft that it's interesting and appealing, and that gets harder and harder over time because the games that are coming out for Live Arcade are just better and better and better. And Microsoft is very much raising the bar on games that are coming out for Live Arcade, and so we have to convince them that it's good enough, um, which usually involves a lot of documentation, art, uh, and technology demos and gameplay demos. Um, and that's the that's the initial phase for getting the concept approved and and moving into development. And then we just add people a little bit over time. 
beyond the original design concept, we do a lot of uh, early and halfway through the project, just design, 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 building levels, uh, detailing features, describing exactly how achievements work, exactly how uh, rich peasants works, exactly how the game network gameplay works. Um, and then toward the later cycles, then we're refining and revising and changing things as, as needed to make the game as playable as we can make it. Are you constantly doing user testing throughout this whole process? Uh, yeah, not only do we have a, a general group of people that we go to to get feedback on the games that we're that we're working on, it's it's a little tough because we can't just send them a PC build of the game. They really need to experience it on on an Xbox, which means they need to have access to a dev kit or a test kit. But uh, we do have a group of people who play the, play the games. We have other people working on other projects who we pull in to play the game the local the games here locally and, and give us feedback. Um, beyond that, there's a lot of people at Microsoft who help out with that. Our our core support guys or, or uh, management people at Microsoft that we work with are, of course, playing the game all the time. And then they have groups that they have that they expose the game to and get their feedback on it. And then they even have usability uh, labs that are dedicated to exact to doing usability testing. So not so we got usability testing on uh, Cloning Clyde, and then they also did a bunch of usability testing on on the next game that we're doing for Live Arcade. Um, because they, they're as committed as we are to making it as, as completely playable and flexible and easy to pick up and appealing to people as, 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 they, as we can possibly make it. Speaking of next games, uh, what are your future projects? Uh, so there's a whole lot we can't say, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we, I, I wish I could, and, and I, I think we're just we're so close to being able to talk about it in, in a lot of detail. Um, and honestly, we're pretty far along with this game, but you know, what does that mean in practice? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I can't really say. Um, so we are working on more than one live arcade game right now, and one of the ones that we're working on is, is pretty far along. Um, and we're very proud of it, very excited about it. Again, a lot of help from Microsoft and a lot of effort from from the development team and people outside the development team here, just helping make it better and better. Um, so it's going to be awesome, and it's going to have some very unique original features that nothing else has. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. And then, of course, we have all kinds of plans for the future for other live arcade games and more. Are you going to stick then to console, or are you going to still try to uh, do games for the PC? Um, we, are, we are definitely not entirely uh, married to the consoles forever. Um, Honestly, it's my favorite. It's my favorite uh, system to develop for. I, I love console development in general. I always have. I, I worked on consoles from the PlayStation One up, and pretty much everything between the PlayStation One and the Xbox 360, um, and or, or and beyond. Um, and we are. It's really what I love doing, and it's what a lot of people here love doing, and it's really what our core experience is, and what our key background is. There are people here who have worked in games for 11 or 12 years, and a lot of that time is console development. So honestly, I love it, and I, and I want to keep doing it. However, we are finishing a PC game right now as well. We have a whole separate team working on a PC game, and that's a lot more of a contract job. Um, a group of a group of, of interested people uh, worked with us on making a game called Saga, and you can find more information about that on PlaySaga.com, uh, which is uh, an fantasy-themed um, RTS with persistent elements. You can log in, log out. Uh, when you log in, you check on how things are going. You log out, and, and stuff happens while you're gone. Uh, but it still has RTS uh, gameplay 
to it, and it has a collectible aspect as well that's pretty interesting. So we've been working on that for a long time, and that's a PC game. So uh, as far as the future goes, I'm not sure. I, I definitely so, see a lot of console in the future. Um, I'm not sure how much PC development will do, but we're not opposed to it. You mentioned that um, some of your not-to-be-named upcoming Xbox Live games uh, use some innovative types of gameplay. Um, do you have any process for innovating in terms of gameplay or game design that you've codified for your company? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's any more than any other group would do. We, we brainstorm a lot, we talk a lot, we go to lunch, we just throw out crazy ideas. Um, I would say, I'd say out of a hundred ideas, one of them is viable. We just talk about crazy stuff all the time, even if it's ridiculous. And then we think about maybe is it going to work or maybe is it not going to work? And, and that's really what it's about. And we, we even, I think, if you ask my, my PM at Microsoft, she'll tell you that, that we, we were a little too aggressive in, in what the just crazy, crazy stuff we thought we could maybe do. Um, and we had to kind of bring it back to reality and say what's really going to make sense and what do people really want and are they going to be freaked out by it. So uh, we had to tone down some ideas. But So sometimes we, we start with crazy stuff and then tone it down and then say what's really going to work together and make sense and be a good homogenous uh, package for people to experience. Um, but and then we try with every game to do something some significant step like I mean Outpost Kaluki was a single player game there wasn't even any multiplayer in it and Clone and Clyde uh, innovated a lot in multiplayer and did some things that, that other even other live arcade games hadn't done like uh, I think like um, like local multiplayer over Xbox Live and things like that uh, and then the next game that we're doing innovates in some really big new ways, and then the games that we do after that will, will innovate again. So hopefully we'll take a step with each game uh, and make it interesting and unique and, and push some boundaries somewhere in some direction. What would you say are your favorite indie games? Yeah, uh, you, you know, that's a hard question. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, you know, there's there's some stuff on Game Tunnel that, that just recently got uh, talked about. Their like their end of the year awards are pretty appealing to me. Those games in there, a lot of the games that are on IGF are, are interesting to me, um, but some of them I haven't had a chance to try out. Um, so I, I need to spend a lot more time trying games out. But I personally like uh, tactics games and uh, and uh, strategy games and. Um, uh, simulation games, so simulation strategy games are the kinds of games that I really like to play. And so games like um, like Bang Howdy is a great example of, a, of an indie game that I'm really interested in. And those guys are, I think, a great example of indies taking it really far and doing big, amazing things, but still in a, in a really independent kind of way. And then on, on Live Arcade, I mean, I was always a big fan of the weird stuff like Wick. Wick is a game that's really appealing to me. And RoboBlitz is, in my opinion, a fantastic game. You just have to get past the initial learning curve and get into it. And it's a really fun game, compelling, totally worth playing. Uh, where do you see the future of indie games heading? Uh, well, you know, in a lot of ways I see it going where everybody thinks it is going, which is it's it's the big thing. People are getting a lot more interested in it. I think we have to be a little bit careful because it's really easy to spend, to see the success of one game and assume that all indie games are going to be like that. So a lot of people say, wow, that guy made a million dollars, I can do that too. Or even that game sold 500,000 copies, whereas if you really look at it, the games around it are selling 50,000 copies. Um, so we have to be really careful. There's a certain level where putting that much investment into a game makes sense, and beyond that, maybe you're overstepping it. 
Um, so we have to be a little careful about that. But at the same time, our goal as a company at Ninjavi is definitely to really push games into higher and higher quality levels. Um, we, we just want to build on what we've got and make things better and higher quality and more interesting and more feature complete and honestly more tied into whatever platform they're developed on. So if it's in Live Arcade, then we really want to tie into more of the live features in sharing information from player to player and, uh, and doing something really interesting with leaderboards and achievements um, and pushing that as much as we possibly can. Uh, so, but that's on a pretty small scale. On a large scale, I think that uh, indies are kind of the new uh, version of what used to be contract studios. There used to be a million little contract studios, and those are growing back a little bit, but now there's so many indie companies, and if they can find a way to succeed, then there'll be a, a big new force in the, in the game development industry at least. Um, and then I, I also think that downloadable stuff in general, I mean, clearly that's the future, and we knew that, and we're getting involved in it, and it's not tomorrow, and it's not next year, but eventually it's, it's going to all be downloadable, and we really want to be a part of that, and we think we've taken a pretty good first step. How much time in terms of uh, development versus business stuff do you have to handle in a given week? Is it like 40, 40 60, 50, 50? That, you know, that's something that's changed a lot for me over time. I, when I was working at, an, at another game company, I was doing programming and then, um, and, and then design and team management, and then I was doing direction of, of certain elements of several projects, and then I was head of a small studio that we were trying to get started. And then I started my own company, and it's just pretty much grown from I was a coder to now I'm really, I got to spend a lot of time managing and uh, doing business development. So um, so I'm still a, a, one of the key guys on, on one of these projects that we're doing and a key guy on, the, on all of the projects that we're doing. But um, I spend a good 60% of my time doing management, just keeping track of the company and making sure it runs well and making sure people have what they need. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Take care.